Come be a part of the Tea Party with your host, Dr. Ed Holliday. Hear the voices of liberty speaking all across America. Doc Holliday provides thought-provoking interviews and commentary about the issues and actions that are afflicting this country and what we need to do to get America back on track. Get fired up. Get inspired. Get on board Doc Holliday's Tea Party right now. It's only a click away. Listen up. Two great announcements coming right up. That's right, Doc Holiday's Tea Party is on, and you're listening to his host, Doc Holiday. You're listening to us on webtalkradio.net. That's webtalkradio.net. Two great announcements. I told you about it. Number one, Osama bin Laden is still dead. Not only is he still dead, we have on today's show none other than retired Colonel Robert McGinnis. You've heard him at Fox News, you've seen him there on the Fox News channel, and you've heard him on other great radio shows. He's on Doc Holliday's show today, and he's going to be telling us about where do we go after Osama bin Laden is dead. So you don't want to miss this great interview. will be coming up in just a few minutes. Then also, i got to tell you about yours truly, Doc Holliday. Last week, I went to Washington, D.C. I went into the National Archives, and I visually pursued and looked at and viewed the Constitution of the United States, the original document on which we still stand and live by here in this country. And I'm glad and proud to say that that document still begins with the three words, We the People. It doesn't say we Wall Street bankers. It doesn't say we the union bosses. It doesn't say we the government bureaucrats. It says we the people. And that excites me about the Tea Party movement because we can get some things done when we work together as we the people. So those are two great announcements I wanted to tell you about. We got to get it right in today's show because not only do we have retired Colonel Robert McGinnis telling us about the future of the war against terror. We also have a great uh, Rock of Liberty speech at the end, Memorial Day, uh, the remembrance of June 6th, D-Day. Special, special Rock of Liberty speech. You don't want to miss it, so stay tuned. That'll be at the end of the show. Now, you know, we also have coming up the Tombstone of the Week Award, and this week it'll go to a former governor, a former a presidential candidate, and what he said is outrageous, it's disgusting, and he should really give an apology to the right wing of, uh, of America. So you don't want to miss that and see who that is at the Tombstone of the Week Award will be coming up just before the interview with retired Colonel Robert McGinnis. And for those new listeners, let me remind you, go back to last week's show. Had a great show with David Parsons from the Christian embassy there in Jerusalem about the words that Obama, President Obama had said about uh, Israel and what they should do for peace. So go back and listen to that show. Other archives are out there just right there on Doc Holliday's Tea Party. You can hit the archive button and go back and, and review some of those other shows. Now, let me tell you about not only did uh, I see the National Archives see the United States Constitution and the Declaration of Independence right there at the National Archives. But uh, we witnesses to rolling thunder. As you know, 
uh, on Memorial Day weekend, Rolling Thunder motorcyclists from all over the country come in to honor our veterans, to honor those who have served, and to help with veteran benefits and to help preserve the the memories of those who have fallen. So thank you, Rolling Thunder, and you know this, Sarah Palin and Todd and Bristol and Piper, the Palins, all came through them, Rolling Thunder riding bikes, their motorcycles and. It was, a, it was a good good day for all there. I'm telling you, not just Tea Party folks, everybody there that loves America. It was just a great way to honor. So thank you for all the people of Rolling Thunder. Great, great group, and I appreciate all that you do. Doc Holliday salutes you. Now, we have to move on this program. There's so much we won't get into today. And one of the things I told you about Women of the Tea Party Movement, let me just tell you, this month's Tea Party Review magazine, if you don't have the magazine, by all means, go to my website, www.teaparty.ms. Just go there, teaparty.ms, and click on the banner. Or uh, right here on Doc Holliday's Tea Party, we got a banner. Just click on it. It'll show you how you can subscribe. It's the best new magazine out there. I love the magazine, and you'll see some great things going on. Not only... Uh, you see articles by uh, Doc Holliday. You're going to see some articles about other uh, other people that are in the Tea Party movement. And let me just go through some of these that are right here and uh, uh, talking about new faces, original feminism. Uh, then we got the new era of the feminist, feminine feminist. And these are Tea Party articles. You need to read them. Jamie Ratke. From the Tea Party activist to United States Senator, question mark. Will she become a United States Senator? She's a part of the Tea Party movement. And then there's one about how a moderate black Democrat became a Tea Party member. Then there's also the heart and soul of a black woman Tea Partier. I'm telling you, these are, these are why this magazine is so exciting. It helps you understand the people who make up the Tea Party. It's not who the mainstream media says it is. There's another article, Meet Jane Woodworth, The Making of a Tea Party Activist. And then uh, Selena Owens, I know Selena, she has an article called Christianity, Conservatism, and the Tea Party, Do They Mesh? And we need to get her on the show and other some of these great ladies of the Tea Party movement. We'll plan on getting them on the show in the next few weeks and months. Uh, there's a Melissa Ortiz, Ortiz, and I've met Melissa, and oh, uh, she is a wonderful, wonderful person. You need to read her article. Then there's Born American, Born Tea Party by Sasha Gong. I'm telling you, you need to get every issue, but pick up the issue that has the conservative woman, the power of the conservative woman in the Tea Party Review magazine. Great, great way to honor the women of the Tea Party. <clears throat> and like I said, there's an article in there by Doc Holliday talking about Michelle and Jean Malden. Uh, from Goodman, Mississippi, the, the oldest person who has founded the Tea Party that we know of in the state of Mississippi, maybe the whole country, in her 90s, founded her own Tea Party. So no matter what their age, they're always young of heart. And uh, this lady, Miss Malden, has, in her 90s founded a Tea Party. Great, great way to give inspiration to people all over the country about the Tea Party. Pick up that magazine we've got to move on with the show i tell you time's moving on it's very important that you know that last week there's also uh, an epiphany hit me when i was in the library of congress standing in the 
Thomas Jefferson Library, a new a new feature there has all the books of Thomas Jefferson, and right and they're in a circle, lined up in a circle, and right in the center of that circle, an epiphany hit me. It wasn't quite all together, and I'm telling you, later on in that same day, I was standing at the graveside of John F. Kennedy, President Kennedy, and it, the epiphany finished up. So I don't have time to get into it today. We got a show that's packed, so next week I'll tell you about the epiphany I had uh, there in uh, Jefferson's Library at the Library of Congress and it ended at the gravesite of President Kennedy with the eternal flame. Now, going right on into today's show, I've got to get to the Tombstone of the Week Award. And you're wondering who that is? Well, it's none other than Howard Dean. The words of Howard Dean, what he had to say. Howard Dean, if you didn't hear it a couple of weeks ago, Howard Dean used to be the head of the Democratic National Committee was a front-runner for the presidential candidate in the Democratic Party for a while in 2004. And he also, he was a governor, of, uh, a governor. And now, he has these words to say. He said, the far right is the hate wing of the Republican Party. He said, they hate Muslims, hate gays, and hate immigrants. Howard Dean, that's disgusting. Those words are just absolutely disgusting. I want to get so mad, but I'm not going to get mad. I'm going to keep my cool and just tell Howard Dean what a foolish words and choice of words. All he's doing is plowing the ground and trying to put hate in the minds of those that are vulnerable to hate speech. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say that Howard Dean purposely is using these words and he owes an apology. He should be ashamed of himself. We are trying to get rid of hate, trying to bring this country together. And what he wants to do is say the far right is the hate wing. Well, let me tell you, there is no hate toward Muslims. We want to love. But anybody's going to do illegal activities, yes. Anybody wants to hurt us, yes. Not Muslims. We're talking about the, the radicals. The radical jihadists, those who want to destroy freedom, destroy America, those who want to kill people. It's not just America, it's in other places. Listen to last week's show about Israel. And he said that the, the far right hates gays. Nothing can be further from the truth. Look, I know people work with homosexuals, those who uh, with same-sex attractions. Just because we don't agree, if some people think it's a moral issue, some people doesn't, you don't take Judeo-Christian values and stomp them in the ground, Howard Dean. You tell me, Howard Dean, what is hate? You got a group called the Catholic Charities that, that go in and uh, they go in and take orphans that need a mother and a daddy. A Catholic adoptions is what I'm, Catholic adoption agencies. And they're in Massachusetts and now I believe in California. They're saying the, the radical homosexual agenda is saying shut it down. If you don't agree with us, shut down your orphanage and you know, shut down your adoption agencies. That's exactly what's happening in Massachusetts. It's happening in California. It's happening in other places. The far left radicals, they don't want tolerance. Here they are preaching tolerance and they're so in. Tolerant. They'd rather see a child without a mother and a father if it goes against what they believe. 
What's hateful, Howard Dean? What is hateful is making these children suffer because somebody wants everybody to agree with, every, agree with what they believe. They don't want anything, a moral issue. They want it their way. That's intolerance, Howard Dean, and you're calling the, the far right the hate wing? Who's hating when, you, when the children suffer? But we, at least we can agree, do is agree to be tolerant. And you say, and Howard Dean says, the far right wing hates immigrants. That is such an abuse of the word. We love immigrants. The Tea Party loves immigrants. They're in the Tea Party movement. You've got to understand there's a difference with illegal immigrants. There's a way to come to this country, Howard Dean. You're you, the Democratic Party and the far left has has reached out to the Hispanic community like they have empathy. If they really wanted immigration reform, why didn't they do it when they had a filibuster-proof Senate, the House, and the presidency? They did nothing about it. Now they're campaigning like they want all this immigration reform, and they blew it. They had a chance to do it. There's nothing nobody could have done to stop it because they had all the Democratic majorities. And now they didn't use it then, and now they're trying to court the Hispanic vote. Who is playing who the fool? Howard Dean, for your words, your rhetoric that spews out like a sewer when you call the far right wing of the party the hate wing. That is sewage talk. It belongs nowhere in political talk. You ought to be ashamed of yourself, and you should give a, an apology to these people who work hard all their lives and dedicate their lives to helping America, and you call them the hate wing. Shame on you for those words. Those words get Doc Holliday's Tombstone of the Week Award. Now, we've got to move on with this show. We've got coming up none other than retired Colonel Robert McGinnis. And just before it comes on, let me remind you, you're listening to Doc Holliday's Tea Party. I'm your host, Doc Holliday. You're listening to us on webtalkradio.net. That's webtalkradio.net. And let me remind you to come back next week because we'll have another great show. And like I said, tell your friends and neighbors about Doc Holliday's Tea Party. It's growing. We're glad you're part of it. Now, let's get retired Colonel Robert McGinnis on the phone here. I want to welcome you to Doc Holliday's Tea Party. we got a retired Colonel, uh, uh, Bob McGinnis, here with us. Welcome to Doc Holliday's Tea Party. Well, thank you for having me. Uh, one thing we're covering this week is the fact that since Osama bin Laden has been shot, killed, dead, he's gone, where does the war on terror take us? Uh, what, what is your aspect? Where do you see the war on terror going now? Well, after bin Laden, of course, is killed, uh, I think they've already decided uh, on an interim leader by the name of Saif al who, which translates as Sword of Justice, a former colonel from the Egyptian army who has been working with uh, bin Laden and Zahiri, his deputy, for a number of years, has spent some time in Iran, Syria, Lebanon, and now apparently is either back in Pakistan or the Baluchistan area uh, near the Afghan border. Uh, so I suspect he'll be the interim leader for a while, and then they'll decide 
within their own ranks who ought to lead in the future. But My the, concern the, would be uh, is ahead. that uh, long before you know, bin Laden was shot a couple weeks back, uh, the organization had morphed, created al-Qaeda in the Islamic Maghreb in North Africa, al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula. It um, certainly uh, spread to the Horn of Africa through the likes of al-Shabaab, which is a, a similar organization, and then other groups literally across the world. So uh, though it was a great victory to uh, remove bin Laden from the earth, uh, there are a lot more that are like him, and unfortunately, uh, I think we'll have to be at this for some time. Well, that brings up the next question with, with him gone, uh, and we talk, you talk about the leadership, but does it really mean that much since it's already morphed in all these different, uh, different groups? Yeah, I don't know that it really matters that he's gone from that point of view. Of course, it was an ideological uh, victory and something that uh, you know, rightfully we should celebrate because it was a very tough uh, operation. Uh, of course, it exposed our so-called friends in Pakistan and right. a variety of people in that, in Afghanistan. Uh, but I really don't know that um, you know it's other than psychological that it has helped us tremendously. Now it could be that the intelligence that we gathered, which was extensive, uh, will lead to a variety of of uh, I suppose operations that uh, we may, may never hear about, but. Uh, at this point, I really don't know that uh, it has uh, a significant strategic impact other than uh, in terms of communication and morale amongst his ranks. Well, one thing you, you mentioned about our, uh, uh, the information, we, intelligence we were getting just to we killed Osama bin Laden, and, and this, we saw this press release where uh, uh, Leon Panetta, head of CIA, said disclosure of classified information to anyone not cleared for it Reporters, friends, colleagues in the private sector or other agencies, former agency officers, does tremendous damage to our work. At worst, leaks in dangerous lives. Uh, to me, there was just a unparalleled amount of information came out about that raid. And what what are your thoughts on that? Did we did we as Americans hear too much about what went on and what happened? Yeah, in hindsight, I think we did. Uh, there was no need to give the the details that uh, uh, was shared, and mostly by political appointees, which, of course, you know, most political appointees come up through uh, the political side of the world and don't understand the, the national security implications, especially for those that have to work overseas in very mm -hmm. dangerous settings. So uh, there's an expression, loose lips sinks ships. Right. In this case, I think uh, uh, there were just too many loose lips, and as a result, uh, we have some seals and others that perhaps are in uh, fairly grave danger. Well, that's that's one of the things I hate hearing. Like you said, in hindsight, I wonder exactly why so much came out from the White House. Uh, but uh, maybe they're still learning over there. What do you think about the as far as the direction of our country? We got a defense secretary that is uh, leaving, and we got a new secretary coming in, Leon Panetta. What are your thoughts on about the new uh, secretary of defense? Well, I suspect Leon Panetta is brought over for one reason and one reason only, and that is to cut the budget. Keep in mind, when he was in the House for eight terms, he was on the Budget Committee. And then, of course, under President Clinton, he was uh, the budget advisor. And then off he went to do other things, such as run the CIA. 
fortunately, he knows the the landscape of the current wars. But when he goes to the Pentagon, the budget is is very complex with a lot of pieces. And I, I've written on the issue here recently for Human Events, where my column appears every week, right. and I've addressed some very specific issues on that. With him going into a, a Secretary of Defense, then that leaves open the CIA, and of course we've got General Petraeus uh, going to be leading the CIA. What are your thoughts about that, Colonel? Well, I've known Dave Petraeus for quite a few years. Uh, he's very competent. Uh, he understands uh, the intelligence processes. I think that he may run headstrong into a cultural phenomenon. The, the agency is very different than the military. Uh, so, when you say the agency is very different from the military, can you elaborate a little bit for yeah, our listeners? Yeah, well, the about agency that? is made up of people that are, are, are true experts in their limited fields. You'll have mm -hmm. analysts that will know the inside and outside of the leadership of a particular country. Right. Uh, their job is to try to get into their brains and tell the president basically what they're thinking. So they have to know it well. Well, Dave Petraeus is, is accustomed to running military operations where the commander really is the one uh, that is the subject matter expert that makes the tough decisions, that you know, commands you know, people to, to jump. Right. And the CIA just doesn't operate like that. Very, very different culture. So we'll see if it works out. Well, I've, and I've met uh, General Petraeus myself, and I, I, like you said, I believe he's a very competent and uh, uh, skilled person, and I'd like to see him succeed there. Uh, now, we can't talk about terrorism without talking about the news of the, that's just uh, recently happened with the President Obama talking about going to the 1967 borders for the nation of Israel, and, and we're hearing more and more about that each day, but... Uh, your thoughts about that and having to deal with Hamas uh, as, uh, as negotiating with Hamas? You know, that's going to be rather difficult, given that Hamas is, you know, continues to be a terrorist organization that refuses to recognize Israel to you know, distance itself from not only the annihilation of Israel, but to forswear uh, terrorism. And I don't see that they're doing that. In fact, I think the reconciliation they made with Fatah and the Palestinian Authority was you know, specifically done so that they could uh, escape having to make a deal with Israel. And what did you say now? Who, that Hamas didn't have to make a deal, or Fatah didn't have to make a deal with Israel? No, well, no, they were they were going to have to if they wanted the, this so-called two-state solution. Right. They would have had to make a deal with Israel. Well, by going together now, they hope to go in September to the United Nations and persuade that body to recognize them as a separate state without making their peace with Israel. So it really circumvents a whole process that is fundamentally important, obviously, to the security of the Israeli people. Well, that's, uh, there's a lot of people still uh, looking at that, and I guess I always will, but that's, that's very much concern of myself and others when you, when you start talking about going back to the border borders 1967 and like uh, the prime minister uh, bb said it's it's indefensible well it is indefensible you know i've walked that ground a number of times and uh, in the the further western part of the west bank is only about 20 kilometers or 16 miles from the mediterranean sea yeah. uh, with uh, with the rockets that are available now being fired out of places like 
Gaza, if the Palestinian Authority were to put rockets right there, they could range virtually anywhere in Tel Aviv. And, of course, uh, that's the economic engine of Israel. Right. Uh, and then, of course, they want to take over eastern uh, Jerusalem, which puts all the holy sites in Palestinian control. And given their record in the past, look what happened to Bethlehem. It's too dangerous to go to Bethlehem, and it has been for years. You just think, you know, they would do the same thing to, you know, certainly the the Dome of the Rock, where the Wailing Wall is, to the the valley, uh, and then the the Garden Tomb, certainly the Mount of Olives. All of those holy sites would be probably very, very restricted, and no telling what the Palestinian government would do. Well, that, you, you bring up some great points that are, are very uh, disturbing to think that... Uh, all of a sudden, all these sites that uh, tourists from around the world come to see would be uh, under Palestinian authority. Like you said, it, it could fall just like uh, Bethlehem. And you said you've been over there and walked that many times as far as defending Israel. Uh, what, what about Syria and, and, uh, and its role with Israel? What, what do you see as far as uh, the border there with Syria and Israel? Well, certainly uh, Syria is complicit in working with Iran to bolster Hezbollah, which, of course, is a proxy the, the Iranians built mm -hmm. in the early 80s to go after Israel and after the West. Now, you know, they have re-equipped after the 2006 war. There are many thousands of missiles now facing into Israel from southern uh, Lebanon, from the Litani River down to the border, and that's completely dominated by Hezbollah. Syria, of course, is complicit in that because most of those weapon systems come through Syria to Hezbollah. And, of course, the Iranian, Iranian uh, relationship with Syria and Assad, Assad uh, is very, very close. Uh, right. they, the Revolutionary Guard was in there, has been in there recently, helping Assad put down the, I suppose, the uprising. And in, in just the last couple of days, you have many, many additional people killed. We're... we're Approaching something like a thousand have been killed, right. and other thousands have been wounded. And it, it, like I said, there's in thousands when you talk about everybody that's, and, and that's what we know about it, right there in Syria. Um, but what are your thoughts on the Arab uh, Spring of, of Egypt and Tunisia and, and what's going on in those countries? Well, t Tunisia, I'm not as concerned about as I am Egypt. Egypt, right. it would appear as if, you know, certainly the military has. Tends to be f more professional than some of the others, uh, but the emergence of the Muslim Brotherhood, the emergence of Islamist Salafists uh, along with the Muslim Brotherhood, and statements by uh, the probably the next president over there who uh, is himself associated with the Muslim Brotherhood suggests to me that uh, that country is likely to go in a very bad direction from our perspective. And then they'll probably eventually uh, scrap the 1979 peace accord with Israel, and you'll be back to the same tensions we had prior to 1973. So I'm very concerned about Egypt. I'm concerned about Bahrain. Uh, President Obama didn't say much about that the other day, primarily mm -hmm. because we had the Fifth Fleet operating out of that small country. Right. Didn't say anything at all about Saudi Arabia. Of course, that's because of the oil. Uh, Yemen, uh, he scolded. Uh, and perhaps Sana'a, 
uh, Salah, rather, the president will eventually leave like he promises. So, uh, but do you the think Arab that's a good thing? Is, if you think that's a good thing, if Yemen's uh, uh, president leaves, is that is that good? Well, <laughs> y- y- Yemen is a uh, a failed state. It, uh-huh. It's divided by the, in the north by a tribe, the, the Hutani, uh, that are basically distance themselves from. Uh, any centralized government, they're more aligned with Iran than anyone. They've been battling the Saudis for some time. Uh, on the east, you have al-Qaeda, uh, and then and then mostly the Arabian Peninsula. That's where they're focused. Uh, you have Marxist groups there and so forth. The only thing that the president really controls is the capital, Sana'a. And the capital is, is controlled because his brothers and cousins uh, run the military. Okay. And so it's an interesting mm. setup. Well, uh, one thing before I leave, I, I did want to ask you about since after Osama bin Laden was killed, and we go back to what uh, our Attorney General Eric Holder is doing as far as investigating and, and uh, the former uh, former CIA members and others in the Bush administration for their interrogation techniques. Now, is that something that could be dropped? Should it be dropped? Or uh, what are your thoughts on Eric Holder pursuing the investigations? Yeah, you know, I, I I tend to believe as as some that you know waterboarding is not true um, torture. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it has a t- it rises to the technical definition. Uh, I, I've been to Guantanamo Bay and to the prison there a couple times. Right. Talked to the interrogators. I've seen many of those that are incarcerated there and read their transcripts. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you know, what we have done, uh, for the most part, is, is commendable. We've gathered great intelligence. Uh, the CIA people that are in some of the darkest places in this world trying to gather information do it under great duress, uh-huh. uh, and they, I believe, have saved many lives. So uh, I don't think that uh, they should be tried. Uh, especially if the if the harshest so-called punishment or interrogation technique is waterboarding, uh, that's far different than anything that you're going to find in in some of our so-called uh, friendly allies right. that uh, do some pretty harsh things. Far worse than that. And it was retired Colonel Robert McGinnis. We're glad he took time to be on our show today. And a couple of quick nuggets I got from that right there at the end. You found out that. Uh, Colonel McGinnis, he he loves our country and he has a great respect for those who have to go undercover, those who work in intelligence gathering. And you can see that he is very concerned about our country and I believe that he he wants the best for the intelligence community. And also another nugget I got is uh, the fact that I didn't understand Leon Panetta coming in and he feels like Leon Panetta is coming in in the role as Secretary of Defense because of his knowledge of the budget and to help cut the Pentagon budget. So we'll we'll see if that holds out true. Now, let's get into this week's Rock of Liberty speech. There's so much to say. The show has been packed in there. But let me just say, after Memorial Day in June 6th, there's just a lot of things that I want to talk to you about. And there's none other than what holds dear to my heart is when I was at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier last week on Memorial Day, and I just couldn't help to get out of the image out of my mind of the rolling thunder, the motorcyclists, and some of those who had fallen comrades in the Vietnam War, and, and earlier that 
week I'd been at the Vietnam, the Vietnam Veterans Memorial. There, that wall with uh, the names of everyone who lost their life in the war in Vietnam, and to see tears coming down out of these big, tough motorcycle men, some veterans that had friends who had who hadn't made it back from the war, and there they quietly cry and hug each other and they can remember they can remember a friend a, a fighting soldier a buddy that didn't make it out of Vietnam but it wasn't just Vietnam we see Arlington and all tombstones and you realize that we live in America and just like the Korean War uh, plaque says there the Korean War Memorial there right there in uh, near the Lincoln Memorial and it says freedom is not free and we know that especially in a Tea Party and it reminded me back to my dad talking about some young men just boys practically a farm for mule this is back my dad uh, was telling me this back in World War II, and my dad had seven brothers who served during World War II. But there were people in his small communities in a small town. And I'm going to tell you this story because you may not know who I'm going to talk about. Nobody will. They're not famous. But you know people just like them in your community. And all the World War II veterans know these people can identify with these two. There's two men. There's one named Harvey Moffitt. He had an old Model A car, and these country boys, was, he, he was a farmer with mule and plowed ground for his family, and, and uh, they would gather up nickels and dimes, and they'd get enough money to, to buy him some gas to go in because they had a Model A, and they'd go into town and go watch a movie. And Harvey Moffitt was a fun-loving guy, and everybody seemed to like him, and he, there's another guy from that small community named Harris Jennings. Harris Jennings was married, and his wife was pregnant. But Harris Jennings and Harvey Moffitt both got a call from their government, from their country, to go serve. And they did. And they went in on June the 6th, 1944, D-Day. They went in to help liberate Nazi Europe. Fortress Europe is called. What would liberate it? All the tanks, all the bombing, all the armaments. But it took men. It took bodies thrown against the beaches. But Harris Jennings and Harvey Moffat, their time on earth ended on June the 6th, 1944. And they don't have great big monuments. Their name's not written on a wall anywhere. It's written to their family's hearts. And it's written to the hearts of every American as we live free. The unsung heroes we see in the tombstones, not only in Arlington National Cemetery, but all over our country. And now, of course, in other parts of the world, freedom is not free. And I just want to say thank you to Harris Jennings, Harvey Moffitt. You can say thank you to the, those you know. Let the names be remembered. Even as those 
Rolling Thunder motorcyclists, those that had buddies that didn't come back from Vietnam, etched their names off the wall. Their names are remembered, and that's why I'm taking this time to remember a couple of World War II soldiers. Nobody else really knows about them now, but they went on June the 6th, 1944. They didn't come back. Harvey Moffitt had his family born for him. Harris Jennings had a son was born. He had never, never did, of course, see a son. His son never saw his father. Freedom is not free for all the veterans everywhere. Men, women, put your life on the line. God bless you. Those are out there now. God keep you secure. Put his hand of safety about you. God bless America. See you next week.